I want to talk about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Now, you might be quite young, you might be quite old, but I think you have got an interest in this, whether you're a young Christian or an old Christian, young person, old person, whether you're even not a Christian at all. You need to hear about this. Many people tussle with this issue of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And they look for a neat philosophical answer to what is a very real conundrum. Is everything down to God's sovereignty? Is it ultimately or only what God does that counts? Are we really more like puppets? Are we, are we just the will of God, the will of Allah, as it were, dictating everything? But sometimes Christian theology can seem a little like that, that God's sovereignty just decides everything and we don't have much of a say in it. But is it human responsibility? Is it all down to human choice? Is it all about what we do and our will and our decision? Is that the only issue? Is it really just back down to us? Surely it can't be both. Our logic (laughs) struggles, our brains struggle. Surely it can't be both. But you know how the Bible teaches us? It's not through philosophical arguments. The Bible doesn't teach us through um, sort of uh, logical arguments of the intellect. Not very much. There's quite a lot of clear teaching in the Bible, don't get me wrong. But by and large, the Bible teaches us on these things by showing us revelation of truth. This is what happened. This is what happened. This went on. God was doing this. Men were doing this. Demons even were involved in this way. And that sort of insight comes to us through stories like this about Ahab. The Bible says this is how it was, this is what was going on, this is what men did, this is what God did. And we look at that and we learn from it because it is the reality of real life. We can get an ivory tower, we can get very theoretical, we can get very philosophical, and we can say, yes, but what about this and what about that? And although that's interesting, we cannot go beyond what God has shown us. And God has shown us quite a lot. And these stories, and they're they're real stories, give us insight into the dynamics of how these things work. What I want to do, if, if possible, is to unweave some of the threads of Ahab and try and lay them out for you and say, look at this thread, look at that thread, but applying it as we go through to ourselves as well. Now, this is particularly relevant to what's going on here is sin and judgment would be the bottom line. It's Ahab's sin and God's judgment that are central themes of what we've been looking at. Really, only God can fully weave these things together I'm going to talk about. I understand that. But by God's grace, we can unpick what he's told us and say there's this thread and there's that thread and there's that thread. And those are relevant to your life as well as mine, as well as Ahab's as well. So let's just do that. Here's one of the threads, the first thread. Ahab was a selfish, evil man who chose to do things he knew were wrong. There is no question Ahab made choices to do things he knew he shouldn't have done. And one of them was to do with Naboth's vineyard. Just one of them. There he knew he hadn't a right to just take a man's land. Not under the laws of Israel. We saw that when we preached about it. He also knew that although he turned a blind eye to everything his wife had done, that very 
questionable, no, seriously evil things had gone on to kill Naboth and actually probably kill his sons as well. So there was no one to inherit the land so that he could have it. He knew evil, murderous things had gone on. God knew he knew. God knew he knew what he was doing. And we won't read it, but in 1 Kings 21, God said, there will be a judgment on you for what you have done wrong. That was a clear strand. You've done it. This is not like somebody else's fault. This is your call. And you've made a mistake. You've made serious mistake. You've made serious sin choices. You will be judged for them. That's one strand. And it, it could be multiplied in other areas of Ahab's life. But there's another strand, even in the Naboth one. Ahab got very sorry indeed for what he did. He realised he had done wrong. And he pleaded to God to stay his hand of judgment. You can read that at the end of 1 Kings 21, 27, 28. And God responded to Ahab's plea. God, incredibly, as I said to you when I preached on this, I'm indignant reading it. I think, Ahab's horrible. You know, just kill him, Lord. (laughs) You might think I'm not very nice, but that's how you feel. I think this is a villain. And yet God actually shows mercy to Ahab because Ahab cries for mercy and is, short for a short period, apparently repentant. So for three years, the judgment didn't occur. But then he reverts to his old ways. When the crisis is over, nothing serious has gone wrong, he goes back to his old ways. That's another strand. Here's a third one. In 1 Kings 22, we've just read, Ahab is told that if he persists, now listen to this carefully, if he persists in going to war with the Aramites, he will be killed in that battle as a judgment of God on him. But when you read it in 1 Kings 22, who started the idea of fighting the Aramites? He did. Ahab is sitting there, feeling pleased with himself, he gets Jehoshaphat along and he says, why don't we thump the Arameans? They've been a nuisance. They've been ruling this part of my kingdom. They've been overruled. I think we should go to war with them. He has the idea of going to war. He chooses to go to war. But as he begins to prepare for war, he is warned, God's judgment is going to come on you in this war and you will die. You will not come back from this battle. That's God's judgment on you. There's another strand. It's revealed to him by Micah, or Micaiah, I call him Micah because I find it easier and apparently that's an alternative. It's revealed to him by Micah that actually the prophets, the 400 prophets who have been telling him, go to war, you're going to win, you're going to have victory, are lying. And that a lying spirit, a demonic spirit, has been allowed to influence them. And they are bringing demonic counsel or lies to, to, uh, to Ahab, not good counsel. But God has allowed that to happen. However, God is not really being deceitful because he tells him. God says, through Micah, this is what's happening. It's very interesting. I find it interesting. I can see I'm losing some of you already. But we'll pull the threads together in a minute. But this is life. Come on, your life's like this. This is life. You want it all tidy. Is it one or the other? No, this is life. So, right, he starts the idea of the battle. God says, you will be judged and the judgment will happen in this battle. Micah says to him, actually, these 
people are saying you're going to have a great time and come back victorious are lying. And there's a demonic influence which God has allowed to lead you into judgment. But he's been told that. So actually, if Ahab had the sense to listen to Micah and treat him seriously, he could have potentially avoided death at this point anyway. He could have called the battle off. It was his call to start it. Now, here's another strand. Ahab understands that what Micah brings has got weight from God. He clearly treats it with some degree of respect. But listen to this. He doesn't like it because it doesn't fit to what he wants to do. How common is that? There is a thing. He sees that there's some wisdom and truth in it, but it doesn't suit him to obey it. It doesn't fit what he wants to do. His personal plans are messed up, which are to beat up the Aramaeans and recapture this area. They're messed up by this word from God. So he hates the truth. He refuses to obey the truth, but he fears the truth. He fears it as well. So, the next strand is, when he goes into battle, he disguises himself. Why does he do that? He disguises himself because he's frightened that it might happen that if he's walking around dressed as they obviously would in battle, dressed as the king with all a sort of bodyguard around him, drawing attention to themselves, if he goes into battle like that, he might be killed. So he tries to avoid the judgment element. He tries to avoid it by disguising himself. And he says, Jehoshaphat, you dress as a king. Jehoshaphat must be pretty thick, I think. Jehoshaphat, you dress as a king. Here's a good idea. You dress as a king, look really kingly. I'll pretend to be an ordinary soldier. That's a good idea, isn't it? Jehoshaphat, yeah, okay then. <laughs> you know, so I, actually, Jehoshaphat must be thick as a brick, mustn't he? But never mind, he did it. So, so he is disguised. Why is he disguised? He wants to avoid what he fears might be true about God's word. Now here is another, these are all strands, but I've lost count. Here's another one. The human element of, the human soldiers are fooled by Ahab's disguise. The, if you read the story, which we've just read, the human soldiers are fooled. Every, they are indeed out to get in. That is the philosophy of the Aramean king, quite correctly. Let's kill off Ahab, that will win the battle. That's how they fought wars and still do in some ways today. So, so actually, the human are completely fooled. Nobody can find Ahab. They think it's, oh no, it's Jehoshaphat. But what happens? Someone fires an arrow at random. It says in the story, random. You're like, oh, I don't know, what, random's random. Someone fires an arrow in this battle. Arrows are flying around. And the arrow not only hits Ahab, it goes between the gaps in his armour. So he's got armour on, but the arrow actually goes in between the gaps and kills him. Well, it, it, it seriously wounds him, and he bleeds to death. And the clear implication is, God directed the arrow. The clear implication is, he couldn't avoid what God had said would happen. He might disguise himself, he put armour on to protect himself... And still, God's arrow found him. That's sobering, isn't it? But the human elements were completely fooled. And here is the final strand. I think it's about the eighth strand. Okay, here's the final strand. And it's fascinating. Ahab is killed in battle with the king of Aramea, Aramea, King Aram, and his 32 chariot generals. I mentioned this to you before. They are mentioned several times. 
Why is that important? Well, back in 1 Kings 20, God led Ahab into a battle with the Aramaeans because they were evil force to get rid of them. And these, this king and his 32 chariot generals are mentioned. Now, God helps Ahab to, de- to defeat the Aramaeans. And he is meant to destroy them. That's what he's meant to do. But what happens in 1 Kings 20 is that when he's beaten them in battle, the king of Aram and these 32 generals come to him all sort of, oh, you know, please have mercy on us, all dressed in sackcloth and ropes around them and all very sort of humble. And they say, please have mercy on us. And Ahab is flattered by this. He enjoys the power. And he says, certainly, you're my brothers. And he actually makes a treaty with them and makes friendship with them. At the end of 1 Kings 20, you can read it for yourself, verses 42 to 43. We read it a few weeks ago. At the end of 1 Kings 20, Ahab is told, you will be judged for this stupidity. You were told to get rid of this evil force and you have made friends with it. And actually, the people who finish off Ahab are the Aramaeans. The very people he should have got rid of get rid of him. That's interesting, isn't it? Are you awake? Now you need to know how it applies to you. Is life complicated? Life is complicated sometimes. But yet there's an order to it. It's a sense. There is God's sovereign overruling here, but there is also clearly human choice. God, what God says will happen does happen. God knows the end from the beginning. And you cannot avoid God and disguise yourself and protect yourself and hope he doesn't notice you. But there is human responsibility. Choices are repeatedly made that make a difference. Negative, like sparing the Aramaeans or going to war, but sort of positive, like repenting, for a while anyway, after Naboth's vineyard incident. Both are here. This is life as it is. God is saying, this is what you know and what I am telling you about life. Let's begin to apply it to ourselves quite quickly and thoughtfully. We need to be thoughtful. First, it's clear that the judgment God brings on Ahab is totally justified. Ahab does awful things and he is rightly condemned for them by God. There is no way Ahab can say, God made me be nasty to Naboth. God made me go to war with the Aramaeans. God made me be stupid and spare the Aramean king and his 32 generals. Nobody can say that. Those were things you did, Ahab. You chose to do those. He can't say the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil seems to be involved, or a lying spirit is involved, under the permissive will of God. But you can't say, well, I would never have possibly done it, because I just didn't realise. He did realise a lot of the bad choices he was making. And yet, his bad decisions came to a point where they were accelerated with demonic influence. And he went quickly into a bad place of rebellion against God. Now, I want to say to you, sin, brothers and sisters, not merely if you're a Christian or not, sin has consequences. If it's not repented of, if it's not confessed, it does bring fruit. That is a principle of life. 
And you'll find that in somewhere like Galatians 6, written to Christians. You know, we do reap what we sow. The only way you can break that is by true repentance and confession. There is a sense in which when you make choices of rebellion and sin, they do ultimately have consequences unless those consequences were borne by Jesus Christ on the cross and you've applied that to yourself. You can't say, well, you know, I didn't understand it all. or You understood enough of what you were doing. That's where God would say, you understood enough, Ahab, and he would say the same to us. We can't ignore twinges of conscience. We can't ignore the word of God we know and understand and then think it doesn't matter. Let's go on to another thing. Ahab was not really interested in this chapter we read this morning, in is the word of God true or not. He was interested mostly in does it support what I want to do or not. And Christians can be like that, apart from non-Christians. The word of God is not there to support what you want to do. It's there to direct you, sometimes to protect you from evil and damage. It is not there to be massaged and shaped to what suits you. So much of this goes on in modern Christianity. But the Bible is not there for us to try and get it to line up with what we want to do. Ahab wanted to go to war, desperately wanted to beat up the Arameans, and there were all these false prophets saying, yeah, that's great, you can do just what you like. You'll do very well if you do just what you like. Then comes the word of God, which is, actually, this is a road to destruction, Ahab. And Ahab knows it's sort of probably true, but he hates it. He uses that word. He has, I hate this man. He always, and he's hating the word of God. He's not hating a man. He's hating the word of God, which always gets in my way. It doesn't let me do. It doesn't let me be myself, express myself, go for the sin I want to do, go for the sexual sin I want, go for the, the stuff. I want to be able to massage it. I like these prophets who say I can do what I want to do. Now, we have to be careful. We really have to be careful. It's a common problem. We need to hear the truth and its implications need to impact our lives. We need to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. Of course we need to read it thoughtfully and intelligently, but in the end, we mustn't pick and choose and massage it just to to try and make it fit what is our convenience, what we want to do. The Bible does not submit to us we submit to the Bible. Amen? That's how we must live if we want to be men and women of God. Let's go on to another thing we can learn from Ahab. Ahab actually avoided at one point, and could have avoided more, I believe, this judgment, this consequence of his sin, if he had recognised his faults and asked God for mercy. Now, that was clearly what happened in the Naboth vineyard incident, but it is actually potentially possible in other settings. If he had truly turned back to God, he could have changed, if you like, the course that seemed to be mapped out for him. A genuine cry of mercy brings God's response. And you know, for us, this is a glorious possibility, which we will look at in a few minutes from a New Testament passage as we close. But I just want to say this to you. There is a real possibility for all of us of completely being forgiven from our sins and being cleansed from its guilt and its power. And so that we don't actually reap what we sow. Jesus reaped it and we benefit with cleansing and forgiving 
and with new hearts, new spirits, eternal life. The gospel is brilliantly good news that you can be forgiven and cleansed. Jesus bore in his own body your sins, your transgressions. He rose victorious. The debt was paid. And if you ask God for forgiveness, he will give you it. If you ask for mercy, you will receive it. And Christian brother and sister, we can go on confessing our sins and receiving the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. It is an ongoing benefit. And so there's always hope, provided you come at the thing God's way and you go for his answer, not your own. Ahab's actual death was a judgment from God in this story. But actually, the agents that killed him were people he had wrongly spared. God had said, get rid of the Arameans. He didn't. And there is a truth here. The very sin that men and women often indulge in is itself the agent of judgment. There is a biblical principle you will find in a number of parts of the Bible spelt out. It's it's in Romans 1, apart from other places. That part of God's judgment... Now, hear this... Because it's hard to get sometimes. Part of God's judgment is sometimes to give us over to the very thing we choose. God says, you want that path? You can have it. And he reinforces it. And it happens here. As Ahab chooses to go to war, it's like the prophets are prophesying him into the very thing that he's chosen to do that is leading him to destruction. And there is a frightening possibility here, which we have to live with soberly that you cannot play fast and loose with God. You can't play fast and loose with sin. You can repent. You can come back to God. But you can't guarantee that if you keep deliberately sinning, God will always be there for you in that sense. There will be a time when he will give you over. That seems to be scripture. What he does is he lets you go on what you've chosen. And that is the worst thing. When God lets you go down the path you've chosen. And actually, all judgment, even hell itself, is to some extent that, the outworking of people's own choices. They think, I want to do this. I want to just indulge myself. I want to be the king of the castle. And and God says, okay, in the end, that's where you'll go. I'll let you go. So there's an element of that about Ahab and in real life with the rest of us. Despite, and this is challenging, despite... The fact that Ahab is warned, he seems to be deluded by the devil. I think that's part of what I've just been talking about. That sometimes the devil is allowed to get in and bring a greater hardening or bondage in our lives. This is scary because the only answer is to to break things by getting back to God. It seems with Ahab that it accelerates the process as all these prophets prophesy. And I think in real life, we have to be careful that we don't give place to the devil, as the New Testament says. We don't give him land to, uh, ground to land on in our lives. Don't give any place. How do we do that? By keeping short accounts. We ask for forgiveness. We forgive other people. We don't harbour bitterness and anger. We don't keep relishing secret sin and keep playing with it. Because in the end, the devil can exploit that. It's darkness, and he loves to work in darkness. And in the end, he can accelerate our progress, our progress down a path of judgment. So he, I don't think he's the cause of it, but he can accelerate it. And we have to be careful that we don't indulge ourselves to the point of no return when it comes to sin. 
And very final point on Ahab, and it's a very sort of interesting challenge. Ahab foolishly thinks that by disguising himself, he can avoid the consequences of disobeying God's word. And I think that is all too common. God sees and evaluates the motives in all our hearts. Any attempt to disguise ourselves, to try and fool God, is ridiculous. But I think people do it all the time. They have a pathetic delusion that they can somehow avoid the consequences of sin by disguising themselves. I'll pretend to be holy. I'll pretend to be something I am not, and that'll be fine. That never works. God's never fooled by that. That's what Ahab did. Ahab said, I don't want to obey God's word. Do you see the way to this? I don't want to obey God's word, which is don't go to war, repent if you like, in his case. I don't want to obey God's word, but I will disguise myself to avoid the consequences of disobeying God's word. That never, ever works. And loads of people, perhaps all of us at times, including me, have probably tried it. You somehow don't do real business with God. You don't really say, God, you obviously understand everything about me. I must keep closely with you and I mustn't try and fool you. It just doesn't work because God isn't fooled. But Ahab, in this crazy world where he thinks, I don't want to obey God's word. It's inconvenient. I don't like it. But I'm going to avoid the consequences by pretending to be something I'm not just doesn't work. One old writer says this about Ahab in this end of his life. Ahab was plated all over with iron and brass, but there is always a crevice through which God's arrow can find its way. God will not be fooled. There is always an arrow, uh, sorry, there is always a crevice through which God's arrow can find its way. It doesn't work. Disguise myself by changing jobs, by changing church, sometimes. Disguise myself by moving to a new town, even changing my spouse. You need to sort yourself out with God. You need to do serious business with God. I might be fooled. All these soldiers were fooled. No, none of the human elements got it right. The guy who fired the arrow did not fire his arrow trying to kill the king of Israel. That's clear in the story. He didn't say, there's the king of Israel, I'm getting him. It didn't happen at all. But God was involved. And we need to know there's a God in this world. There's a God. (laughs) And God knows what's happening. I mean, if you only get that from this morning, get it. There is a God. And he knows. And no, no human agent knew they were killing the king of Israel. God knew they were. Isn't Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome. Now, the, the reason I'm so happy is because I know Jesus. So I'm going to finish off by telling you that. Because some of you don't look very happy. But you need to be sober. You need, I don't want you grinning. Oh, sorry, do grin. You want to be nice. But what, you know what I mean. I don't want you thinking, oh, it's all all right. Sorry, I'm losing myself here. This does happen. I'll get back to the point. I want you to realize there's an answer. It's right to be sober, but there is an answer. Let's look at it quickly. And this is what we're ending on. Turn to 1 John. 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10. Sorry that I sometimes get carried away. (laughs) But I believe God's in it. And I believe this is something quite heavy on my heart. Not in a heavy way, like it's 
like it's unsolvable, but a soberness, I think, would be a better word than heavy. And I want, God, I want you to hear what, what God's saying. Let's read a few verses in 1 John 1, and verses 5 to, to 10, just as we're going to close. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard. Bear in mind this is written to Christians. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. And then those verses that uh, Jim read are worth looking at too, the next two verses. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Just have those verses open. This is the only way to live. As we come to the end of what you might say, John... To be very honest with you, I'm not sure how much you've helped me understand things. It's still confusing. It is is confusing because we are human beings and God is God. But the fact of the matter is simple. You make choices that you are responsible for. And the fact of the matter is also simple. God is never fooled and never caught out. And he knows the end from the beginning. And he will deal with all sin either in you or it will be dealt with in Jesus. And so the real answer for us is that we have to live as these verses explain to us. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We should never disguise ourselves and armour plate ourselves instead of being open to God and actually open to one another. The answer, the only way to be really safe is to walk in the light. You try and disguise yourself and armor plate yourself, you will never succeed. Ultimately, God's arrow will find you. But actually, what you need is an open face and an open heart with the living God. And walk in the light, in the light of his presence and in fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify you from all sin. Christian brother and sister, as you walk in relationship with God, the blood of Jesus is effective for you throughout your life. All as you live, fail, pick yourself up, confess it, walk on, make a mess up, put it right again. And many of us, that's our story. But the blood of Jesus keeps purifying you. Because you're in the light of his presence and it will keep on cleansing you. Practically, verse 9 is a very important instruction. If we confess our sins, confess means to recognize it and admit it. He is faithful, that means he's trustworthy, it's certain, and he's just, that means it will be done in a just and right way, faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins. And the wording means remove our sins completely. Only God can do that. You can forgive other people for ways they've offended you, you cannot forgive their sins. 
Someone can offend me and I can forgive them. They've still got to do business with God. Only God can remove their sins. And God can do that. He can forgive you your sins and remove them and purify you. That means to make you pure, legally, fully, completely cleansed from the effects of sin. You can be completely cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's marvellous. The only way to live is to live close to the Lord, walk in the Spirit, walk in the light, keep short accounts with him, and enjoy this glorious salvation. If you do that, you will not fall into the traps Ahab fell into. It's the only way to live. Can we have the band up? It's the only way to live is to be Christ-centred, centred on Jesus. Now, in a way this morning, I've sort of used a story, but it, it, it's a real story, and it, it, it's relevant to your story. It won't all be relevant, but although it seems in some ways very distant, in some ways it's very near. An individual making choices, deliberately turning his back on what he knows is the right thing, trying to duck and weave God. He's a bad example. I don't want to follow his example, but I want to learn from what happens to him. I can walk in the light with God. I can continue to confess my sin. When I find things are wrong in my life, I do business with God. And he is faithful and just and will forgive me my sin and purify me from all unrighteousness. On what basis? On the basis of the blood of Jesus, his son. That's what purifies us from all sin. Ahab could have known a degree of forgiveness, but nothing like we can through Jesus Christ. It's an incredible thing to have the gospel and to know the truth we've just read in these verses, isn't it? 